By now, you've probably heard all about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. You might even already be investing in them. But did you know that you could invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get all the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. The iTrust Capital platform is easy easy to use and only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low. It's time to start taking control of your financial future. With iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Visit itrustcapital.com to start investing today. That's itrustcapital.com. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. Last time when you were at the pump, did you catch yourself thinking, why am I spending all my money on gas? Drive less, save more. Ride Coda. The new transit app makes riding Coda as easy as tap, tap, go. Plus, we'll help you get started with a $4.50 account credit when you download the transit app and set up your Coda account. What are you waiting for? Download the transit app today. Learn more at coda.com slash transit app. Romans 15, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about to Illyricum I fully preach the gospel of Christ. Paul is speaking about his ministry. He's literally at a stage where he's preached in all these different places, all these different cities, and now he's like, okay, I've, I've done everything, every, I've preached everywhere, there's one last place I need to go. And so he wants to preach the gospel in Rome. This is kind of the, the final frontier, so to speak, for him. So he has this desire to take the gospel to Rome, and he shares about how God had used him. He's not boasting, but he's being very clear that this is what God has done, or Jesus has done. He says, Christ has done through me. Now, how many realize that this morning, that God, Jesus, needs a people that he can work through? Very important. I've heard Christians say this, even uh, very recently, well, I'm sure happy God's in control. And all too often, that is our way of shirking our responsibility. So it's like, hey, God, you take care of this, will you? And God's like, Psalm 115, verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. So it's our responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's our responsibility to be his hands and his feet, not only in other nations, but here in our city as well. And the reality is, God is looking for a people that will seriously understand the purpose for which He has saved them. He didn't just save us just so we could be comfortable in life and we could sit in a church and, you know, rock up once a month like most Christians do in Western nations and come to church and just say, hey, you know, it's all good, I'm saved, uh, throw some money in the offering, do whatever we think we need to do. But the reality is, God has called us to be 
followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, to live like those people lived in the book of Acts. They were committed, they were, they were committed and they were relentlessly pursuing the will of the Father that heaven would be changed, but that earth would be changed by heaven coming to earth. So it was always about new horizons, new people, people who have not yet heard the gospel, people who don't know who Jesus is, how can we reach them? How can we communicate with them this great gospel, this amazing love of God, and how Jesus has come to set them free? So, when Jesus sees the crowds in his day, the Bible says he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, he's saying this, the gospel is the power of God. And the power of God, we say in Romans 1.16, that the gospel of Christ, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, then for the Gentile. That was the message that Paul preached. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, even though he was put in prison, even though he was beaten, even though he had undergone incredible sufferings, he said, I'm not ashamed. It still works. It's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that brings change. You can be religious, but your heart will never change. You can be religious, but you, you, may not, you will not know God apart from an encounter with Jesus Christ. So, the reality is there are people that are worshipers. There are people that are seeking God throughout the world, and we see this, but there are many of them that are really sincere. They're very devout, and they really, honestly, come on now, I can tell you, having traveled to many nations of the world, I know people from other religions that are often more zealous, more, more ardent, more committed to their religion than Christians are in the Western nations, All right? They take it much more seriously. You know, I mean, the call to prayer, right? You go to the call of prayer if you're a Muslim. You show up. You do the things that's required of you. And we can say, well, yeah, that's legalism. But then what happens is we turn around and we utilize that. We look at those things and we'll say, well, that's legalism. But then we do nothing. We do nothing. We're disobedient and we're not following what God has said in his word. So you've got legalism on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end, you've got lawlessness. People that are saying, oh, yeah, I follow Jesus. Uh, yeah, I love Jesus. But they're not obeying his word. They're not obeying his commandments. And he told us in John 14, if you say you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do those things that are pleasing in my sight. And it's an amazing thing when you look at how people are suffering around the world, other Christians who are being persecuted, for example, things they go through, people that are living in these rubbish tips, I can tell you, can I be honest? Many of them don't even know Jesus, and they have a greater sense of wholeness psychologically and in many other ways than we see among Western people. They live in that, but they're happier than us. We, we have a, you know, we go through things here, and, and then it's like, oh my gosh, you have no idea what I'm going through. I'm like, really? Do you want to come with me to the rubbish tip? Really? Do you want to come? And, and let me show you what it's like to live there. 
and tell me that you've got it rough after that. Guys, they scavenge through the garbage. There are two young girls in the, in the kingdom kids' home. The one girl was taken off the streets. She lived with street kids, and they were fighting. She was, she was very aggressive. She's, she's nine or ten years of age now, just this little petite girl. And she was aggressive, fighting other girls over scraps of food on the street. And now she's this young, beautiful Christian girl. That's the stuff that people are going through. The things that they're dealing with in life. We have no idea how difficult it is. And you know the interesting thing? They're so resilient. They're so committed that they find a way out. When they trust God, they find a way out. And they persevere, and they break through these things. And some of them have come now. Like one of the young men that is in the kingdom kids home, again, he came from a place in a village where there was no hope for him. His family couldn't support him. Um, they want, you know, the kids to start working and supporting the family at like as young as age 10, 10 years of age. And this young man now has just written uh, an, an, an entrance examination to become a medical doctor. He's in the kingdom kid's home. He, did, he finished his high school, six years of high school in four years. He's so brilliant. And he came out of abject poverty and absolutely no hope in the natural. There's something that God is doing around the world. And I can tell you the gospel works. Paul says this. Look at this. I'm not going to dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed. In other words, in word and in works. So it's not just enough to preach a message. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. We've got to help the poor. We've got to love people. We've got to pray with people. We don't just say, hey, God bless you, here's the gospel. When somebody's suffering, even in our local church, if someone is going without, we need to step up. We need to do what Jesus would have us do. We need to help out in whatever way that we can. And so he's saying this, that because I ministered in word and in deed and made the Gentiles obedient. And then he speaks about mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I've fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, what I want you to notice here is where it actually says, have fully preached, those three words are actually in the Greek language, one word. And the word literally means fulfilled. So let me rephrase that. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. How is the gospel fulfilled? Well, the gospel is not just in word. The gospel is in power. If the gospel is just a message, but there's no demonstration of the power of God, then it's not the gospel. It's not the true gospel. That's exactly what Paul is saying. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. One translation says, In power, in the Holy Spirit, 
and with deep conviction. The gospel is not just a message. It's not just something that, that is uh, declared, but it's something that's demonstrated. The gospel is the power of God. It works. It changes people. It heals. It delivers. It sets free. It makes people whole. I'm telling you, it works everywhere and for everyone. But the condition is you have to believe. You have to believe in this gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. Everyone that believes. So Jesus looks out in his days and he sees the people harassed and harangued and by sin, by the devil, and by poverty and all the things that they were experiencing in his time. And he says, I've got to help them. I've got to do something. And so when you look at the, the times when it's the scriptures, the gospel say, and Jesus was moved with compassion. One time it says he was moved with compassion so he healed their sick. Another time he was moved with compassion, so he fed them. Another time he was moved with compassion, so he taught them many things. That's what the word says. So when we look at this, we see that the gospel involves a comprehensive strategy. The supernatural, healing, me, uh, you know, feeding people, the natural, and then teaching people, proclaiming the kingdom and teaching them the ways of God so that they can walk in it. Because the reality is, you can put up your hand and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I'm, you know, I'm born again, I want to be God's child, whatever you want to say. But the reality is, we're called to be disciples. We're called to be disciples. And the gospel in power literally introduces us to the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed. Jesus did miracles. Jesus arrested their attention, and then he told them about the love of his Father. In John 10, 16, Jesus says, there are many, there are other sheep, other sheep that I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock, and they will have one shepherd. There are many sheep still out in the world that are, belong to Jesus. They don't know it yet. They haven't heard the gospel. They haven't fully embraced, but God has promised that he's going to save them. He's going to change their lives, and, but he needs someone just like Jesus, the good shepherd who went around. And if you read Ezekiel 34, he talks about woe unto those shepherds who, who don't go after my sheep who have been scattered. They don't do anything to reach my sheep that have been scattered. And you know, they just allow them to wander throughout the mountains and they're ravaged and by the enemy. And God says, I'm going to raise up shepherds after my own heart. He said, someone who will go after my sheep, someone who will rescue them, someone who will tell them, preach the gospel to them, someone who will allow them to experience and encounter the love of God. Jesus came, Luke 19, 10, to seek and save that which was lost, those that are lost. He came on a search and rescue mission. And that's the reality. I honestly would not trade anything for what I have. I would never. The joy, the peace, the righteousness, the, the, the sense that God uses me. Like, God, come on. God, you, you, you use me. You know how that's part of your calling the reason why you're bored is because you have no purpose. Yeah. 
You have no purpose. And so many people in the world, they do things, they operate, you know, they go to work and they pursue their career and they get involved in relationships, but deep down within, there's this void in their life because they don't know God and they don't have a purpose. And God wants to not only allow you to know Him, but to raise you up to walk in His ways and to do those things that Jesus has called you to do. But understand this, that those people that are out there, those sheep that are yet to be part of his fold, many of them, the Bible says that Satan, the God of this age, has blinded their minds so that they do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan has blinded their minds. That's what it says. In Ephesians 4, it says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So not only has Satan blinded their minds, but there's this ignorance in them that is a result of them hardening their own hearts. And then it continues and it says this, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. So Satan has blinded their minds, their hearts, they've hardened their own hearts, and as a result, they've lost their sensitivity, their spiritual discernment, their, their acumen for the things of, of the kingdom of heaven. And God says, They've still got to be reached. In 2 Timothy 2.26, pray, Paul says, and treat people with love so that, listen to this, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Satan takes people captive. Come on now. That's what it says. It says he blinds people's minds through the hardness of heart. People can't perceive the ways of the kingdom. And Satan has taken people captive, hostage. He's holding them hostage. And what's the answer? How do we help them? How do we liberate them? Well, come on. First thing, let me just tell us, we don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Because... We give them an ultimatum. Let them free or else. else. Satan, let them free or else. Sin, devil, whatever, let them free. You have no other recourse. You must listen. You must obey. And we saw that this week when people started crying out and we say, come out in Jesus' name. No. I said, yes, you are. You shut up, you dumb devil. Get out. And ah! And the demons come out, and they're free. And the next day, you look at the face of the young girl, and she's just shining with the radiance and the joy of Jesus. Listen, that's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen it in many different places around the world. I've seen it in Australia. I've seen it in Canada. I've seen it in America. I've seen it in Africa. I've seen it in Asia. Time after time, people have no idea what they're, what's going on in their life. There's a spirit realm, guys, whether you believe it or not. There is a spirit realm. There's something going on out there that is beyond what you can say. And the fact is, a lot of times people are like, well, why can't I change? Because you don't believe the gospel. Because you don't believe the gospel. Oh, no, it's the devil. No, 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 no. It's not the devil. You don't believe the gospel. Once you believe the gospel, 
the devil's evicted from your life. And I'm not saying, oh, let's say this little prayer. No, no, no. Listen to me. When you believe with all your heart and you trust and you follow and you lock in, then what happens? It may be a process, but what happens is eventually you get free. You get delivered. Sin, depression, sickness, Satan. God is greater. The gospel works. The gospel works. So what's the answer? How do we see these people whose hearts are hardened, whose minds are blinded, who've been taken captive, released? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Come on. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. We go into the dark places. We go after those who are bound by darkness. And we have the light that, re that causes them to be able to understand and see the truth of the gospel. Because even though they're blinded, the light is greater. The light is greater. It's only the light of the glory of Christ that will set them free. We can, we can argue, you know, um, apologetically. We can, we can say, well, you know, look at all the examples in history and look at all, the, all these things. But the fact is, that's not going to do anything to reach most people. Because their minds are blinded, guys. It might be completely rational in what they believe. may be completely irrational. But the reality is their minds are blinded. Their minds are blinded. So they need to have an encounter with the glory of Jesus Christ. And that encounter will open their hearts, open their eyes. And if they fully embrace what they've just experienced, what will happen is it will liberate them. And it will bring them into this glorious freedom. Listen, let's look at this. In John chapter 2 verse 11. This is a story. We're very familiar with it. Jesus' first miracle actually. When he turned, he multiplied. Um, he turned the water into wine. Sorry. He turned the water into wine. So here he's at a wedding in Cana. And they run out of, of wine. And so he says, okay, fill up these water jars. And then as they're filling up the water jars, it literally turns into wine. Correct? If you look at this Gospel of John, there's actually seven miracles in the Gospel of John. This is the first of seven. And the Bible says this. Listen to this. Jesus is with that at this wedding, attending this wedding with his disciples. Listen to what it says. The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Look at this. What happened after his glory was manifested? And his disciples believed in him. So when the glory of God is manifested, it brings people to a place where, oh my gosh, I believe. It does something to open their, uh, to unlock their hearts, to open their eyes, so that now they can believe. But the reality is, this initial step of, okay, I believe. I believe Jesus. Wow. I believe this is God. This is, this is amazing. But this is just the beginning of a lifestyle that God wants to bring you into. Because it's very interesting. In Romans chapter 10, verse 20, it says this. Isaiah is very bold and says, 
Listen to this. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask me. And the next verse, he says, but to Israel, all day long I stretched out my hands to a disobedient, stubborn people. Do you understand what, what Paul is saying here? He's saying the people who are not religious, the people who weren't claiming to be, the, you know, the Jews at that time, the Gentiles, were the ones that really encountered God. But the religious people of that time, the Jews, many of them, had become so uh, legalistic and, and, and walked in the sense of, of entitlement. Well, I'm a Jew, and therefore I'm, I've got all these privileges. And yet, they didn't know God. They didn't know God. They knew, they knew, some, they knew the stories. They were familiar with the laws. But they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't know Him personally. And that's exactly what has happened in many places today. You know, you, well, I've been attending church for 40 years. And then someone who's out in the world ends up encountering the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Saul on the road to Damascus. And I know he's religious, but it was that encounter with the Holy Spirit that turned him around. So they have this encounter, and all of a sudden it just, just, it just causes them to, to have an, a revelation of who God is, and it opens their eyes so that now they say, oh my gosh, wow, look what Jesus has done. Look who he is. Listen to me. The gospel works, guys. It works. It works. It works. But the fact is, most people, listen to me, many people, after they have an encounter with God, they don't take it to the next level. You believe, oh yeah, Jesus healed me. Yeah, I believe it. But now what have you done? Listen to me. It's kind of like this. Encounters or miracles of God's way are God's way of making an introduction. Hi, I'm God. Really? Where have you been, God? Oh my gosh. I've been here all the time. Yeah, I'm everywhere actually. I'm God. And so something happens. We have these encounters. We have these experiences. And, and these epiphanies. And God reveals himself to us. But it's like God saying, it's kind of like this. It's like me saying to you, I'm going to introduce you to a really good friend. He can help you a lot. But the onus, the responsibility is on you to really want to get to know him. So I make the connection, hey, this is Jesus. Jesus can heal you. Jesus has answered all your problems. Jesus knows what you're going through. But you need to take time to get to know him. You need to take time to get to know his heart, to pick his brain, to understand who he is, to develop a relationship with him. And if you fail to avail yourself of that, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. So God's saying, I want you to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the one whom I sent. Jesus came down as God in human flesh. And Jesus reveals himself to people today. But now, if you encounter him, what are you going to do? What have you done? What will you do? You can be healed. 
You can, you can have, feel his presence. You can experience all of these things. But it won't avail you of anything unless you take the next step. And that is to believe as a lifestyle. When the Bible says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. When the Bible says that the, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. The Greek word that is used is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. The word pistis literally means to cling to, to lay hold of, to adhere to, to fasten to. And it means you lay hold of, and you stick with it. You don't give up. You don't like grip for a short period of time and then let go. You stay in that place. It's in that continuous presence in that sense that you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you don't stop, you don't stop. The reason why people go back into the world, the reason why people can't get deliverance and healing is because they stop believing. They stop clinging. They, uh, like, oh, I'm tempted. Welcome to life. But it's, it's too powerful. So you're saying God's a liar. The fact is, God's said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What does salvation mean? Soteria. It means freedom, healing, deliverance, being rescued. It's truth. The gospel can set you free from anything, any circumstance, any situation. That's the gospel. But what do we do with it? Paul said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? Why did, why did he, according to 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, reveal the gospel, not just in words, but in power? Listen to the next verse. Listen to this. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So that your clinging wouldn't be to man. How many people cling to people? but that your clinging will be in the power of God. Now, this gospel can heal anything. Physically, psychologically, spiritually, this gospel is good enough. I've seen it work. It works. It doesn't work for people who make excuses. It doesn't work for people who accept the diagnosis and the reports of the thing of people of the things of this world. There's so many today in our Western society who say, "But you don't understand. You don't. You don't understand. You don't know what I've gone through." Again, I refer you to people all over the world who have suffered more greatly than you and who are now free. Can I tell you something? As the man that we spoke with told the story about putting the curse on the pastor. He elaborated even further. His grandfather, who was a high priest, a priest, a Hindu priest, had, a hun had 96, 96, 99 coconuts under his bed. Do you know what that means? 99 people died as a result of the curses he put on them. His father had how many? 68 coconuts under his bed, meaning 68. And then the man who told us the story began to weep with tears in his eyes because he had three coconuts under his bed. He's now an evangelist. He's now a pastor. 
but there were three coconuts, meaning that the curse that he had put on them, even by the age of 18, three people had died as a result of the curse. He's standing in front of us, guys, telling, and he says, the family doesn't know. They just think the person died in some bizarre circumstance. But I put a curse on them, and he's weeping because he says, I still see those families from time to time. And I saw the damage and the pain it caused when I saw. He had one teacher who didn't give him a good grade in school, and he literally put a curse on the teacher, and the teacher died. He warned another teacher, you better make sure you give me a good grade or I'll. We know oh, that's ridiculous, that's superstition. Well, the fact is, black magic actually works. But if you're a Christian and you're full of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't work. If you open up your heart to the devil, if you've given place to the devil in your life, if you've given place to sin, it can't affect you. You look at a man like that who's turned his life around, knowing that he personally feels he's responsible for the death of three people at least, not physically killing them, but spiritually releasing spirits to do the work. And you look at that and you say, this man has changed. He's full of love. He now is the leader of a children's home. Wow. If God can change him, he can change anyone. Listen, Mark 3, 14 and 15, I'll close with this. Jesus, Mark 3, 14 and 15, appointed 12. Why? That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Do you notice this? He didn't just choose 12 so that they would have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. The preceding verse says that he literally, he literally appointed them that they might be with him. Wow. You see, a lot of people today are pursuing the anointing. Well, let me rephrase that. Few people today, but some people are pursuing the anointing. Many of us are just comfortable operating in our own strength. But God isn't looking for people that will pursue the anointing. He's looking for people that will pursue the anointed one. The name Christ, Christos, means anointed one, the one smeared with oil. Huh? Meshach. Yeshua HaMashiach. Meshach, anointed one, smeared with oil. Hebrew. He's the one. And he says, I'm looking for people who want to be with me. I'm looking for a people that will be with me so I can prepare them to send them out. That's your purpose. That's your identity. Be with him. Get to know him. Let him change you so that he can send you out. As you go to work, as you go on the mission field, wherever it may be, because you're with him so he can send you out to preach, to heal, to set captives free. Jesus had 120 people on the day of Pentecost, right? 
and they changed the world. 120 people. Hmm? But they were in one accord. They all understood this. They understood this. This is what the gospel is. This is my purpose. This is my intention. So this morning, let's start at the very beginning. I want to introduce you to my friend this morning. He can change your life. He will change your life if you let him. You're going to want to make the effort to get to know him. But it's up to you. It's up to you. It's your call. It's your, your decision. Yeah, yeah, he, I hear he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You want to, you wanna need to make and take the time to get to know him. Your faith is not to be in men. Stop running to man. Stop running to people. They can't do anything. You know what, you know what good spiritual counseling does? Points you to Jesus. That's it. Well, this is what the Word says, ultimately pointing you to Jesus. You go to Him. He's got it all. He's got everything you need. That's what it's all about. So Jesus is the one that's going to change you. And He'll raise you up and use you to touch people's lives. There's so many lost, broken people in our world. They don't know any better. They were raised that way. Their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. Their hearts are hard. They've been taken captive by Him to do His will. But the light of the glory of God is in us and with us. We can go as a light in those dark places and set people free. You know, the pain can be healed. The pain can be healed. Jesus can heal you. He doesn't just put a band-aid over it. He takes it away. He heals you. He's so good. He's so good. Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Switch to Spectrum Mobile and get unlimited data for only $29.99 per month each when you get two or more lines. You could save hundreds on your mobile bill. Plus, there are no added taxes, hidden fees, and no contracts. Click to try the Spectrum Mobile Savings Calculator, and in three easy steps, you'll see how much you could save. Visit SpectrumMobile.com save. Offer valid for new customers on two or more unlimited lines. Spectrum Internet required. Restrictions apply. Visit SpectrumMobile.com for details.